Today is the 14th day of April. It's a Friday in 2023. And we welcome you to our Chapter 49 podcast. And we try to keep it a weekly podcast as much as we can. My name is Larry Landon. I'm a volunteer in communications and a retiree. Uh, producing this podcast for, gosh, it's almost three years now, I think, Duncan, and we've been doing this. Duncan Giles is with me. He's the president of uh, NTU Chapter 49. Chapter 49 represents most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. So welcome again, Duncan. As always, Larry, good to be with you. And even though we're both a little under the weather, we are persevering and pushing on. Yeah, we're headed toward the disabled list, I think, but uh, we're still uh, <laughs> we're 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 we're, uh, we're bar- barely active, I guess. Uh, game time decisions on this stuff right now, <laughs> but uh, at least we're here and we are uh, we are able to uh, at least get this thing done today. Uh, I don't know about you; it's really sad because I haven't been feeling well, and when you're not feeling well, and the weather is so nice, you don't feel like going outside. I mean, it's, here in the Midwest, it's just been spectacular weather the last few days. Yeah, it certainly has, but uh, apparently by Sunday it's going to be dipping down very cold again. So as I like to say, Indiana weather, you don't like it, wait 15 minutes, it'll change. And yeah, change is, is on the way, I'm afraid. But uh, anyway, we uh, we hope the weather's good wherever you are and you're enjoying uh, the outdoors to the best of your ability. And with that, let's, let's move into our uh, subjects for today. It seems that for some reason... There's there's this huge, um, how do I put it, controversy about telework, and it's it's the controversy comes this way. There seem to be some people in Congress who are upset that customer service maybe isn't as good as should as it should be in places like the Social Security Administration, IRS. We've 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 upped the ante, but still, it's not, probably not where everybody wants us to be. Uh, other uh, agencies as well. And it seems that there are certain people in Congress who are blaming telework on this. And uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of wondering where that's coming from because I don't see any data on that. If there's any reason for customer service not being where it should be, it has to do with, I don't know, funding, staffing, maybe something like that. I don't know. Anyway, but uh, but we, we had a, a very interesting announcement from the Office of Management and Budget and the Biden administration has been very uh, friendly dealing with the federal unions and agencies and getting them funded and so forth. But this was an interesting uh, situation because uh, OMB sent out a, a message which seemed to sort of say, well, maybe federal agencies should start bringing people back into the office more. Um that got a lot of attention, but yet when I started reading some of the comments by people who are normally uh, federal employee advocates, they're saying it's not really such a big deal after all. You've read this information. What does it mean, if anything? Will it have any impact on IRS or any other agency you're aware of in terms of being able to use telework as a result of this this OMB announcement that just came out yesterday? Uh, the short answer is no. The longer answer is is, you know, be it public or private, there's a big pushback right now for uh, remote working or teleworking to be greatly reduced. And I don't understand where that comes from. If it's not forward-facing, if it's not somebody who has to be there in front of the public, 
what is the big deal about where someone works from as long as the work is getting done? That's, that's the big thing. If you don't have to be there in person, um, you know, then why should you have to? Now, people have said, well, you know, OMB is saying this and people in Congress are talking about pulling us from telework and what are we going to do? Well, we have a national agreement and the national agreement spells out how often people get to telework and who gets to telework. And unless there's an executive order, which there hasn't been, and I don't foresee being one, um, you know, we're going to be able to continue to do teleworking as we have been. There have been talks in the works about expanding telework. Uh, I expect those to continue to go forward. So for us in the IRS and for other federal government agencies, again, as long as it's not somebody who has to have face-to-face contact with uh, taxpayers, because we all want to serve the taxpayers. That's evident by everybody I've ever talked to in our agency and other agencies, uh, especially ones that NTU represents. If it's in person, everybody understands that, yeah, telework's going to be greatly curtailed because your job is to speak to people in person, to talk to them in person. But if it's something that can be done uh, via phone, via teleconference, via teams meetings, things of that nature, what does it matter whether you're in an office location or whether you're at home? It should not matter. I think this this idea that customer service has suffered because of telework, I think there's this idea on, uh, on the part of some people that if, uh, let's say, a customer service rep doing telephone work is working out of the home, that somehow they're not working as hard or they're not getting their work done. And yet you and I both know that there are ways to monitor how people are doing, whether they're in an office or at home. So it really doesn't make a great deal of difference. So I'm really worried about some people who seem to be making this argument. Now, there's others like the mayor of Washington, D.C. She's upset for obvious reasons, because, you know, uh, from what I've heard, D.C. is not a ghost town, but it's a lot less active than it used to be. And you spent some time there. You know how that is. But um, I just wonder if, if there's a lot of misinformation or disinformation coming out uh, about just how valuable telework is. And I can't understand where this is coming from. This is somehow hurting customer service quality. Yeah, if there's an issue uh, with people not doing their job on telework, and we've seen where this has happened, you know, people are called back into the office. And that's the way it's that's the way it's should be that's the way it is according to our contract um you know there are ways to fix that but that's a small 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 minority of employees the vast majority of employees are more productive when they're teleworking there's less uh leave use there's less fmla use you know they don't have to commute they are uh don't have to usually go out for lunch they can have something from home so they're close by so it just it really lends itself to a better work-life balance for everyone. And the bottom line is, for the American taxpayers, the work is still getting done. You know, you're going to always have some of these people who, uh, you know, it worked fine for me back in the 1970s, so why doesn't it work well the same way now? Well, it's a different world. Technology's improved it, and if you can do a job remotely, why in the world shouldn't you be able to do so? And I think it's important that uh, you mentioned something earlier I'd like to just highlight, 
and that uh, IRS and NTU have a, a contract. And in that contract, it sets out the rules for telework. And uh, that's a, a five-year contract with, I think, a, a reopener and, and, uh, for the midterm. It's unlikely that would come back up again. So it's, I, I don't think there's anything on the horizon that would change the telework rules in IRS. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, I've not heard anything from any executives uh, in any division saying that it's basically not working for them. Again, there's always going to be pockets of people in management who have to feel the need to see their employees. They want to be there, you know, want to see them working. But, you know, the vast majority, the ones who are leaders instead of managers, know that, you know, your people are going to be doing their best when they're most satisfied in their job and most are satisfied with doing at the very least a telework schedule where they only have to come in a minimal amount of time. I would have to think, and this is just a question for you and, and uh, as somebody who's been on a national negotiating team as a chapter leader in, in the state of Indiana, the, the chapter president, uh, I would have to say, based on everything you know, don't you think that telework has a tremendous impact on employee retention, first of all, and secondly, the ability to attract people as we start hiring more people? It's, it's incredibly so. Uh, one of the things that we're very concerned about is, you know, you want to, and we've seen it, where people who have not been performing as they should on telework are being brought back into the office and they're saying, oh, no, we're not coming back in full time. We can't do that. Because of the pandemic, the patterns have totally changed. People's perceptions have totally changed. And so it's going to be, you know, this is the wave of the future for as many people that don't like it. And I understand exactly where the mayor of D.C. is coming from. She's worried about businesses in her town because many less people are showing up in the actual office buildings in federal buildings in Washington, D.C., since they can do the work remotely. So it's it's understandable for cases like that. But for people who say, I have to see my employees, they have to be out in front of me, you know, so I can basically physically touch them, so to speak, that type of thinking is very 1990s to 2000s, and it's going to go by the wayside sooner rather than later. They're not going to be able to put this genie back in the bottle in either the public or the private sector. Um, nobody liked having a pandemic. Trust me, and I'm, you know, having had COVID myself. I, I, I don't think it was a good thing. But one thing it did is it, it sort, it sort of uh, swept away some of the arguments management had in terms of, well, for example, there's no way we could, from a technical point of view, ever put customer service reps in their homes. Can't be done. Guess what we found out, Duncan? It could be done. <laughs> it can be done. And that's what happens with a lot of these types of big, life-changing situations like COVID was. Innovations come out of that, and progress is made. And people who fight that progress are going to be looking at it going, okay, eventually it's going to be a losing battle. Let's move on to something that we always have to talk about this time of year. We've already talked about it once, and let's bring it up again. People who are working for IRS have a very high level of expectations in terms of tax compliance. The tax deadline is coming up. Let's just remind people what that means if you're working for this agency. Yeah, one of the things that, uh, one of the special gifts that you have working for the IRS 
is that you are held to a higher standard. We all are taxpayers, absolutely. Um, but you know, it, you need to file your taxes on time, which this year is going to be on the 18th of April. So on Tuesday uh, is the actual date you need to have those done by. And if at all possible, if you owe, to have those paid in full. Now, do you have the right to do an installment agreement if you uh, can't pay your taxes? Absolutely. There are going to be some questions about that, but that is absolutely allowed. But please, 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 please make sure to file your taxes uh, by the due date or at the very least do an extension. And if you're going to owe, pay as much as you can, if not in full, um, by the due date before and then file your tax return by the extension because we don't want to have employees dealing with uh, what's called uh, ETC, Employee Tax Compliance Branch, takes this stuff very seriously. They look at these things, and for the most part, they're not very forgiving. And so then it goes to your manager for the manager to interview you, and then it goes to labor relations to see what they want to do. And it's just a big hassle that we hope employees will avoid. So again, the main thing is, File by the due date. If at all possible, pay if you owe, pay in full by the due date. Yes, and it, I've seen this from both sides as a, a union rep and, and of course, as a manager. And, uh, you know, I just, it's amazing to me that there are still people that somehow don't understand this. I don't know about you. When I worked in toll-free, I would get people calling me who were convinced that if you worked for the IRS— you didn't have to pay your taxes. When, as you I and remember I, getting a few of those. Oh, they, they thought we were somehow accepted as, an, oh, no, the total opposite is true. <laughs> if we're not tax compliant, we're out the door, you know. Uh, so uh, I, I think that's just very important. And, and if you're – the main thing is get your tax return filed on time and pay, as, pay it. And if you can't pay it, pay what you can and get it paid as soon as you can. But uh, that make that a priority to get it filed and paid. And uh, the other thing that I always thought interesting, any, anybody who ever filed an amended return automatically got an employee tax compliance letter, which I never thought was fair. Yeah, those, like I said, the employee tax compliance branch um, is better than it used to be, uh, which is, uh, it, trust me, an extremely low bar. Uh, from when I dealt with them years ago and had um, several non-productive discussions with the person that was running the branch at the time. Uh, you know, I very rarely yell or curse at executives, but I made exceptions for that particular person just because of the way they operated. So, it, you know, you don't even want to go down, have to go down that road. Because, you know, even if you do nothing wrong, you're filing – you owe a little bit. You can't pay it in full. It's not that big of a deal. It just becomes a big hassle that you don't really want to have to deal with. So that's why we talk about filing on time. And that is extremely important, the filing on time. Even if you can't pay, the filing on time is extremely important. So Wait. just to try and give yourself a little bit better headspace so you don't have to deal with stuff like that. Because we all as employees have to deal with, with enough. So I don't want anybody to have to deal with anything extra. So wait a minute here. Are you telling me that you don't curse and yell at executives? Uh, usually not. Sometimes I mock. Uh, but uh, usually I do not 
try and yell and scream uh, at executives or curse them. Now, now the opposite is not true. Some of them, many of them, have yelled at me and cursed at me, and I just sort of laughed. Uh, but no, it takes it takes a lot for me to uh, get that riled when somebody is just that anti-employee. Um, and I felt that at one point the employee tax compliance was that way. I don't believe they are now, but I do believe that they are, uh, you know, they were then and now it's still a very, you know, sticky situation every time you have to deal with them and employees hearts drop when they get letters from employee tax compliance. We deal with it all the time. I'm sure my brethren across the country deal with it with employees coming to them when they say, I got this letter from employee tax compliance. And it sounds very dire and very serious. And are they going to come and chop off my hands, et cetera? And it's like, no, just let's take a look at the letter and find, figure out what happened and give them a response. Let your manager know what's going on. And that's another good thing to do is keep your manager in the loop if there are any issues, because it's much better to have that discussion. You know, if that stuff comes to your manager and they know about it, then they can sit there and say, oh, yeah, the employees talk to me. It's not a big deal. We know about it. We can work this out versus being blindsided by it. So this is one of the things that I always tell employees to, if they're going to have issues in not paying or, you know, whatever the reason is, uh, you know, let your manager know what's going on. They can help uh, possibly deflect some of this when it does come down to them. Yes, I, I do think that it's good to let your manager know your side of the story early on in the process before it all filters down to that manager. They don't always get that early on in the process, so uh, I think that's uh, that's very good advice. Let's move on to another issue we've talked about before. It has uh, been the subject of discussions between NTEU and the uh, Human Capital Office of IRS many times. And there's been a recent meeting on this. Uh, we want to talk about PAR, P-A-R, PAR actions. Now, a PAR action is a personnel action that a manager takes. And let's say, for example, you have a career ladder promotion or some other kind of uh, um, action that's supposed to happen and your manager doesn't get it done on time. It can cost you money, at least for a while, before it's all fixed later on. NTU has been talking to the national management about issues with PAR actions, about some managers being too slow to get them in the system. That's part of the manager's job to do that. Um, so I guess the question now is, Duncan, uh, do you think NTU is making any headway with the management on getting the frontline managers uh, more active and getting them to, to, to do these PAR actions on a timely basis? I do think we're making headway. I give a lot of credit to our national president, uh, Tony Reardon, and our national vice president, Doreen Greenwald, who've been all over this uh, because it got especially bad. It was bad before the pandemic, but during the pandemic, you know, it became very, you know, there were a lot of things that were not being done timely with power actions, and it was partly the manager and partly the system's fault for not getting these input. And it just got to a ridiculous level, and they've been hammering them and talking them uh, on these discussions and our national uh, head of negotiations as well, Ken Moffitt, and saying, you know, we've got to get this figured out. You've got to get this fixed because these employees are suffering either the steps aren't being done correctly, the grade that they're supposed to career ladder is supposed to jump to, you know, they're not getting it timely. 
Now, employees do get made whole because they will get interest from the time it should have been done, but who knows how long that could have been. And the time frame on fixing these power actions has gone from several months to now a couple of pay periods, which is a huge jump. So, you know, of course, we in a perfect world, we'd like to have no problems with power actions. We'd like to see everything done timely, you know, uh, grade and step increases being done correctly and everybody getting done on time. Unfortunately, we don't live in a perfect world. So as long as we can get the corrections done in a very quick manner and within two or three periods is a very quick uh, manner, um, then it, it at least helps. Uh, so that person who's waiting on that, uh, that grade or that step uh, increase is not sitting there hanging out for months going, what the heck is going on and when am I going to get this? And I think the key here, and I've talked about this before as a former manager, uh, it's it's hard for someone who's never done that job to understand just how much work is thrown at a frontline manager. It's uh, it the workload is almost impossible for uh, a lot of these jobs, especially the one I had. And so, if nothing else, I've always said that, that there needed to be a better way of kind of giving people a a heads up that you've got a par action coming. And when you had that, I always got them done on time. If something happened with the system where I didn't get that heads up on it. Sometimes I was late and I hated to do that because I knew you know, I was looking out for my employees at that time and didn't want them to to be late and, and getting something that they're deserving of. And, um, and, and so this is a very important step forward. So I think it's, you know, it's a manner of letting the managers know this is a priority and helping them putting it in their face saying, hey, you got to do a par action. It's not that difficult to do in terms of just getting it done on a computer system. It's just a matter of you've got so much other work to do. Don't get you know buried under where you can't get that done and uh, knowing that that's a priority. So I think that's working, and I'm glad to see that. And uh, it, it, just helping the managers know, number one, it's a priority, and number two, give them a heads up when it's due. I think that's the best thing. It sounds like that's the sort of thing that is happening now. I, I think it is. It's it's reorganizing the priorities because this should be one of the biggest with flashing red lights to say, you know, make sure you take care of this. And I do give credit to the IRS for listening to NTU, realizing that SAS has been a big issue and working on correcting the problem. So it is getting better. It's not where we want it yet, but it is getting much, much better. And hopefully it'll continue to improve. I think employee retention is, uh, that's something that used to get lip service when I was with the service. And I do think that the the agency is now beginning to understand that employee retention has got to be a much bigger priority than the past, don't you? Absolutely. You know, aside from the fact that we've been understaffed and we've got these funds from the Inflation Reduction Act that are going to be coming in over the next several years to get this hiring better. But how much does it cost to fully train somebody, get them up there, get them working, they're being productive, and then because of system failures or, uh, you know, you have a small minority of managers who are still in the mindset of the beatings will continue until morale improves, things like that, that they leave. And so we've spent all this money training an employee, getting them up, getting them ready, getting, helping them, having them help taxpayers to only lose them. So yeah, employee retention at every 
division at every uh, occupation is extremely important. So we always need to be looking at that. Well, speaking, you already alluded to this, so let's talk about it some more. Uh, we talked about this recently, and uh, we know that we're, you know, we're already well into our fiscal year. It ends at the end of September of 2023. And we, uh, as I, should, I would say we as an agency, given even though I'm retired, but the agency of IRS is now starting to implement plans to start hiring people. We have a new commissioner in place. Uh, there are now plans uh, in motion to start hiring people under this Inflation Reduction Act. The, um, the, the announcement made about a week or so ago talked about, I think, 10,000 people this fiscal year, maybe 20,000 next fiscal year. So do you see those wheels turning in a positive way, Duncan, as far as getting this done, particularly in this fiscal year of 10,000, a pretty uh, uh, energetic and, and uh, uh, a, a, a nice goal to have, but do you think we'll make it? I think that they eventually will. Now, how, how much, again, going back to the retention that we'll have is going to be an interesting question, but the hiring is going uh, much smoother. There are some there are some issues. Um, you know, USA Jobs and the types of jobs that we're seeing and they're treating how they're treating internal versus external employees and things of that nature. There's some rough spots there that National NTU is very aware of and working on. Uh, but you know, they realize that we do need to hire more people. They're hiring uh, more people and even bringing in contractors to be able to pull in more people to be able to hire more and, you know, not only in customer service, not only in, uh, you know, the field assistance world where they're taking it, but we need to get enforcement as well. Where are the revenue agents, where are the revenue officers, where are the tax compliance officers needs to be more hiring and taxpayer advocate to take care of the, uh, seemingly never ending, uh, issues with our systems that taxpayers have, that want to be taken care of that they're falling through the tracks. The, um, yeah, it's, it's just one of those situations where the hiring is starting to work better. Hopefully it'll continue to, as, as the wheels turn, hopefully it'll get smoother and smoother and accelerate a little bit more so that we can get to the hiring that we need. Um, and again, retain as much of these employees as we can, because we're going to have an awful lot of retirees, over the next several years, you know, we talk about you know tsunami waves of uh, retirees, things of that nature, and I don't know about that type of situation. But there's an awful high percentage of IRS employees because we have a very seasoned workforce uh, that can retire in the next couple of years, and we're going to be needing to replace that. And we want to try and get some of that knowledge imparted to people before they walk out the door. Excuse me there. I had to kind of show the fact that I'm a, I've got a bad cold here. I, I, uh, I, I want to ask one other question on this. As we move into a hiring mode, uh, what should people be thinking if they like, for example, to, to be classroom instructors, they enjoy being uh, coaches, on-the-job instructors, that kind of thing? Do you expect there'll be any in-person training? Will we be doing all of this virtually? Uh, what are you hearing as far as the initial training as people get on board? That is a great question. Um, that's one of the things that 
we've talked about locally and nationally to IRS. And I think IRS understands that there's a great value in in-person training. Uh, the pandemic training that we had had to be all virtual, of course. And I think that that suffered some because of the fact that you're not getting the back and forth that you usually would with an in-person training. Um, where some of that to me is where some of the best learning is where people are bringing up questions uh, and it starts to go a back and forth discussion between the instructor and the person who asked the question. And then a couple other people are asking questions. So it gets a good back and forth discussion going. People then are learning from real world experiences. So we're hoping that there's going to continue to be an expansion of, uh, you know, back to face-to-face learning. Will it be as much as it was pre-pandemic? I don't know if we'll ever get back to those levels, but I hope we get somewhere close. Okay, Duncan, uh, your final comment for this podcast. Yeah, my final comment, and, you know, this might upset some people, but it, I saw this this morning and it just absolutely drove me up a wall. Um, a certain political figure made a comment about uh, someone who had done something wrong, but they should be you know, taken into consideration that they were uh, a white male and Christian. And I just, that just went, took my mind and went boom. So if it was an African-American Muslim female, it would be wrong. Um, you know, some of the, some of the ideas that come out now are just mind blowing to me. And I just go back to, you know, what one of the things that I imparted to my daughter, Madison, that thankfully she learned, you know, race, creed, color, sex, you know, national origin, none of that matters. None of it is a person, a, a-hole or are they not an a-hole that's what it amounts to did somebody break the law or did they not break the law you know that's those are the things that matter to me not you know as as an older white male it it kills me when the older white males of the world or those that follow that type of thinking um you know they should be ruling the world no everybody should be you know, taking a look at these decisions, regardless of race, creed, color, sex, age, the whole nine yards. So just that's that's my rant for this this podcast. Here, you're making me look bad because my uh, comment is a lot less controversial than that. Because <laughs> all I was going to say is that this, I don't know about you, but this is the time of year when allergies drive me nuts. I don't know what it is, if it's true where you live, but uh, having lived in the Midwest all, just all, almost my entire life, uh, I, this is the time of year I love spring, but man, the allergies drive me nuts. So if you're having problems with your allergies, talk to your doctor. Get take something for it. Uh, don't uh, suffer silently as I did for years. I actually found a way to 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 lessen that that load. Want to thank you for watching and listening to our Chapter Forty Nine podcast. Thank Duncan Giles again for for joining me as always. Uh, We do this as weekly as we can, and we do it, Duncan and I, we take time out of our busy schedules because uh, you tell us that you think it's of some value, so we'll continue as long as you folks are watching and listening and providing the comments that you always do. And uh, we would say once again, please uh, enjoy life. It's spring. It's a good time to enjoy life. And as Duncan always says, work is important, but it's not life to put work in its proper perspective make sure you do a good job but always make sure you have time for your personal life and your own family 
And along those lines, again, please be safe and be kind. Be safe and be kind.